a man was pretty well burnt out on life, and so he decided he was going to drop out and uh, join the monastery. In order to be accepted, however, by the monastery, he had to take a vow of silence. So he took the vow, was in the monastery, had been there for five years. They brought him up for review, and as the council reviewed him, they said, you can speak two words. He thought for a moment and said, bad food. <laughs> they sent him back, and he went back to doing what he had been doing. And five years later, it was time for his second review. They brought him back before the council again and told him once again that he could speak two words. He thought for a moment and said, hard beds. They sent him back, and five years later, they brought him back for his final review. And when he came in, they allowed him to speak two words again. He said, I quit. <laughs> One of them turned to the other and said, well, it's just as well. All he's done since he's been here is complain. <laughs> now, you might feel a little bit that way. We are emphasizing fulfilling the vision for the third time today. Our, uh, this is the conclusion. After today, we are finished with that part of it. So this is the conclusion. But as already been stated by Brian, our goal is to raise $3.7 million that we might repair some of our buildings, refurbish some of our buildings, and pay off our debt. Now, at the end of the service today, our church family will make their pledges last week our leadership made their pledge, and they pledged just a little under $1.3 million. Now, I don't know that I have ever been prouder of them. It might not, I don't know, but it might not have been as much as they have pledged in years gone by. But in these uncertain economic conditions, I am so proud of them because it is a statement of their faith. Not only is it a statement of their faith, but it is a reminder to me that giving has never been determined by circumstances. We normally think that it is, but it has never been determined by circumstances. A couple examples of that. One is after the Hebrews were freed from Egyptian bondage, Moses said to them that they were supposed to build a temple. Now, how were they going to pay for a temple? These people had been slaves, so they had no money. And yet Moses said to them that they were to build a temple, and the Bible says that they gave so freely that Moses had to restrain their giving. He said, no, we have enough. You don't need to bring any more. So it had nothing to do with circumstances but their obedience and God's provision. Another example that I would share with you is concerning the Macedonians who were unbelievably poor, and yet the Bible says that they overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. You, you see, ladies and gentlemen, when we talk about stewardship, we talk about those things, it is a testament of our faith in God and our commitment to the things of God. So as we conclude today, I want you to take your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse number 1. For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. 
But I have sent the brethren that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, that as I was saying, you may be prepared. Lest if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, should be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead of you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift, that the same might be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As I look at this passage of Scripture, there are some things I want to share with you. The first being that giving begins by remembering the past. Now, you see there in verse number 1, Paul wrote, For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. He said, It is not necessary for me to remind you of your commitment in the past. And then he went ahead to do so. There in verse number 2, he says, I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely, that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Albert Barnes wrote, the phrase, has been prepared, means that they had been preparing themselves for this collection. So, in the past, they had already prepared for this offering. What did that mean? Well, it meant when Paul came, there was going to be no pleading He was not going to plead with them. He was not going to beg them to give. And it also meant there would be no coercion. In other words, he was not going to say to them, if you don't give, God is going to break your legs. He said, you are already prepared. They had prepared in the past for this offering. I don't know that First Baptist has ever been better prepared for what we're doing. Now, the reason I say that is because God is doing something in our fellowship. I believe that, I sense that, and many of you have told me that you do as well. God is doing something special in our church. I don't think that, I know that since I have been here, there has never been more cohesion than there is today. There has not been a sense of unity like there is today. I mean, it really is like we are family because we are in Christ. So there's a spirit of unity here. And then your response to the Lord amazes me. Just recently we told you on a Sunday morning that we had an opportunity to give to those in Haiti and to try to buy some tents for them. Just like that, you gave $18,000 and we bought tents for them. We have hundreds of people who have gone on short-term mission trips, like these college students who were up here. I was looking at the brochure. I have a copy of it. I'd encourage you to get one as well. And I'm looking at all of these young people who are going all around the world this summer from our church. And I think, God, thank you for that. Thank you for their commitment to you. And then there are many of you, every month you gather here at the church for the feeding of the hungry. All of those things that are going on in this church, and I can mention many others, but it says to me that God is doing something in our church at this time. The Holy Spirit is at work here. 
And as a result of that, we are ready to go if He says go, and we are ready to give if He says give. So the the Lord is doing something wonderful in this church, and that's what Paul is saying to them. You have already prepared. You are prepared for this. But then he stepped it up an octave when he said, not only are you prepared to give, he said, you are eager to give. Look there at verse number 2b. A K has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. He said, your attitude is that you are zealous about this. About giving? He said, you are excited about doing this. And he said, the effect is, is that you have stirred up others as a result of your example. One commentator said, the ardor of the Corinthians would excite others, not only by their promptitude, but because Corinth was a splendid city and their example would be looked up to by Christians at a distance. What we do affects others, whether good or bad. What we say affects others. I was back there before I came out here for the service. I'm thinking about the service, getting ready for the service, and so forth. Wes came in. He said, man, this is a sleep day. I said, well, boy, I'm glad to hear that. Richard came in right after him. Richard said, boy, there's nobody there today. He said, half the ushers didn't show up, but we're not going to need them. I said, well, I'm ready to go, brother. I'll tell you, I'm, get out there and have a service. We'll do the best that we can. The point is that what we say, what we do stirs up other people. That is also true concerning churches. What one church does motivates or demotivates another church. I remember back some time ago there was an article in some paper that I had read, and it was about Saddleback Church out in California where Rick Warren is pastor. I've known Rick for a long time, but it said that, and I forget how much it was, but they had given in one Sunday several millions of dollars. And I thought of that, and I thought, you know, we're not as big as they are. We can't give as much money as they do. But because of what they did, because of their faith, it encouraged me because I know that our people are not any different than the people out there. If you are a child of God, then you want to do what God tells you to do, whatever that is. And so that stirred me up. See, that's the thing. That's what Paul is saying here. He said, you are eager to participate in that, and as a result, You have stirred up others to do so also. So when we're talking about this, giving begins by remembering the past. Paul is reminding them of the commitment that they had made in the past. Secondly, giving continues by considering the present. We remember the past, but what does that mean for me today? Now, verses 2 and 3, Paul is boasting about the church. He did a lot of that. I mean, he bragged on the church. I know some people think that's not spiritual. Brother, I think if the church is doing what the Lord is telling them to do, you ought to brag on them. I just, I think that that is scriptural. That's what Paul is doing. So he had been boasting about them. But look at verse number 3. But I have sent the brethren that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, that as I was saying, you may be prepared. Lest if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, should be put to shame by this confidence. So Paul is saying, I have told everybody about what you're doing. Now, when the Macedonians come, he said, I don't want you to be embarrassed. 
He said, I want you to protect the reputation that you have. First Baptist Church has a wonderful reputation. The Lord has blessed this church with our 200-year heritage. It is known for many things, but one of the things that this church is known for is its generosity. Through the years, we have literally given millions of dollars to missions outside our church. Our church has given millions of dollars to ministries and to, to buildings and all those things, but our church has always had a reputation that has been earned for being generous. Now, concerning that, Paul tells the Corinthians, and therefore us, how we protect the reputation. And he says, first of all, that you give freely. Verse number 5, So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift, that the same might be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now, the word bountiful means a blessing. It means to speak well of. You know, what he is saying is that your gift should speak well of you. Now, how does that happen? He says, because it's not a covetousness. I want you to understand this. Paul is saying to them that you are to give freely. It is to be a free will offering. Not of covetousness. Albert Barnes wrote, the idea here is that Paul would have them give this as an act of bounty or liberality on their part and not as an act of covetousness on his part. Not as extorted by him from them. Not to be by extortion. Not of covetousness. Doddridge wrote, not like a sort of extortion wrung from you by mere dint of importunity. So Paul says, first of all, that folks, our giving is to be done freely. It is not a result of covetousness. And Paul says, I don't want you to give because I have come in to make you give. He said, I want you to do it freely. Then he says that you're to give bountifully in verse number 6. Now, this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Now, this verse gives us insight to giving. It is the, it is the, it is the law of sowing and reaping. Now, what do we learn from that? Well, first of all, we reap if we sow for some Years, Linda will talk about so-and-so's tomatoes because some of you would bring tomatoes to us. Oh, those just great tomatoes. And she talks about those tomatoes that some of you have grown or corn or whatever it is. But we, we never had any because we didn't plant any. And so last year she decided she was going to plant some tomatoes. And so last year she planted and we ate those tomatoes. Now, had she not planted them, we would not have reaped them because... We reap if we sow. We don't reap if we don't sow anything. So we reap if we sow. We also reap what we sow. I mean, if you plant tomatoes, you don't get strawberries. So we reap what we sow. In fact, the Bible says in Hosea chapter 8, verse number 7, For they sow the wind, and they reap the whirlwind. Now, I know that there are some people who sow their wild oats and pray for a crop failure, but let me tell you something. You are going to reap what you sow, whatever it is, and that is the law of the harvest, that we reap if we sow, we reap what we sow, and that is a scriptural principle found in the Old Testament. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, 
Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so that, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. It is also a New Testament principle. Luke 6.38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. So we reap what we sow and we reap more than we sow. That is the reason for sowing, because we reap more than we sow. So he says that we are to give freely, give bountifully, give deliberately. Verse number 7, let each one do just as he purposed in his heart. He said, now each one is to participate in this offering he's talking about as he purposed in his heart. Giving to the things of God is not a mind decision, it is a heart decision. If it is a decision that is made here, you will figure out a way not to give. If it is a decision made here, you will figure out a way to give. So he says, as you purpose in your heart. And then in verse number 7, he continues, Not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Did you know that word cheerful is only used here in the New Testament? It's the only place it's found in the New Testament. There. You know what it means? Sure you do. It means hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. He says, not grudgingly. Not, you're not to give grudgingly. Alison Huckabee wrote a little story, and in the story she told about a little three-year-old girl was in the candy store with her mother, and she was wanting some candy. And uh, so she was looking at the candy, and she told her mama that she wanted some, and her mama said to her, well, Allison, you have your own money. You buy it. Her little lip came out. She said, I don't have any money. God got it last Sunday. Well, that's not the way, that's not the attitude we are to have. We are not to, to do it grudgingly, not under compulsion, because giving is not compelled, but he says, but cheerfully. One commentator wrote, God loves it. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves it because it shows a heart like his own. I like that. God loves cheerful giving because it is a reflection of His heart. God does not give grudgingly, but He gives cheerfully. And when we give cheerfully, when we have a cheerful attitude about it, then we are reflecting the heart of God. So, giving then is continued by considering the present. Thirdly, giving is fulfilled by a commitment to the future. You see, giving is a testimony of our commitment to the future and of our belief in God. But what do we believe about God? Well, first of all, we believe that He is able. In verse number 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you. God is able to meet your needs. The Bible says in Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God... Now, I don't, I don't want you to answer the question that blurted out. But I do want you, do you really believe that God is able to meet your needs? Let me tell you a quick little story. It was some years ago here at First Baptist, and, you know, I mean, money's always tight for us, and so it wasn't anything unusual. And you pray about it, and, you know, you say, God, you know what our needs are, and I believe that you're able to meet our needs. And sometimes we pray that, and we don't really mean it that much. But, God, I, I believe that you're able to meet our needs, and I've been praying about it. 
my assistant buzzed me and she, she said, there's a, there's a man out here who wants to see you. And I went out. He had a Cracker Barrel sack and he's standing there. And he said, I am representing uh, an anonymous person. And said, I wanted to, um, this person wanted me to give this to this church. I said, okay. And so I took this little Cracker Barrel sack and went back into my office. And I thought maybe it was a sausage biscuit or something. I didn't know. So I, I went back in there and I opened it up and I looked in and it is full of cash. It's full of money. Well, I immediately called the administrator because I thought, oh, my goodness. Now, you know, I, I had to get somebody down there as quickly as I could before I took the money. I mean, you all know that. I'm just teasing about that. But I wanted somebody down there. I don't like to have money around me because I'm, I'm very careful about those things. So I called him. He came down. And I said, look, this person just, I don't know who it is, brought this money in and gave me this sack. And so you take it and count it and see what it is. He, took, he called me back. He said, it's a little over $25,000. But here's the thing, though, with me is that it was, a, it was God's confirmation or affirmation to me that he meets our needs. Now, it might be in a Cracker Barrel sack, but he meets our needs. I mean, God can meet our needs in ways that we didn't think of. And, and He reminded me of that there. So He is able to meet our needs and He is able to enable us. Just as He did with the Macedonians in chapter number 8. You see, the truth is, I want my pledge to be a testimony of my belief in God's ability, not in my belief in what I can do. And the Lord has been so gracious to lend in me. For about 40 years, we have been able to give over and above our tithe to building programs for about 40 consecutive years now. But God has allowed us to do that, and I am so grateful that He has. So what do we believe? We believe in God's ability. We believe in His promise. Now, in verse number 8, He says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. What's His promise? All grace all kinds of favor. A commentator wrote, Do not suppose that by giving liberally you will be impoverished or reduced to want. Always having. The commentator goes on, If you give liberally, you are to expect that God will furnish you with the means so that you will be able to abound more and more in it. All sufficiency. God is able, he, he is able to meet every need that you have, all sufficiency, he says, in everything. In everything. I, that's where I want my confidence to be. I want my confidence to be in the Lord. So God is able, and then God is faithful. In verse number 15, we see that he is the model. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let me ask you, what was God's indescribable gift? Come on. Wake somebody up. I know this is sleep day, but what is God's indescribable gift? Jesus. And when God gave Jesus, it was a sacrificial gift that He gave, and it was His best gift because He gave His only Son. And do you know that God gave so that you and I can give? I read a story about Lieutenant Commander Robert S. Vant, Jr., he was in a Vietnam prison camp for four years. He was released in 1973. He wrote to his home church in South Carolina. 
Here are my tithes for the years of imprisonment. Had it not been for the grace of God, I would not be here to enjoy this good life in America. And he sent his church his tithe for those years he was in prison of $10,000. We pledge by remembering. Has God met your needs in the past? Yeah. We pledge by considering the present. Has God met your needs today? Today? Yes. We pledge by committing to the future. Do you trust God for the future? Do you believe that he will meet your needs tomorrow? That's what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. We remember the past. We consider the present. And we believe in the future. Our gracious Father, what a joy it is to know you and to trust you and to give to you. And I pray, Lord, that you will bless this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, here's what I want you to do. Some of you brought your pledge cards with you. Being the thoughtful person that he is, Richard uh, put some extras in the pews just in case you got off and forgot yours. We are able to accept that one as well. Fill that out. Take your card. Fill it out. There is an envelope there. Put it in the envelope. And then there's a big envelope down on, uh, I guess, the left-hand side of the pews. Then put the one on the left-hand side. You put your envelope in there. Pass it on down. Everybody else put your envelope in there. And just leave it on the pew. The ushers will pick it up and they'll take it to the finance office after this is over. For just a minute, I'm going to ask that you do that. envelope there on your pew and just leave it there and and, uh, the ushers will pick it up in a little bit. Now I'm going to ask that you stand with me please. As we stand together the choir is going to sing a hymn of invitation. If you've never given your heart to Christ that's where giving begins. God wants you. He wants you. If you're looking for a church home, our doors open. We'd be happy. We'd love to have you as a member of our family. So as the choir sings, you come. I'll greet you as you do.